Amen. Don't be afraid to ask God to bless you so you can be a blessing. That's a good word. Don't forget it as we will return to talk about blessing later on in the scripture. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 verses 13 through 16 is where we will start as we continue our series in Mark through Mark and look last week at the focus of a follower, which is to believe above ourselves. And then this week, the faith of a follower and to believe like a child. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16 is where we will start. We'll cover more scriptures past that a little bit later. The Bible says, One day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with the disciples. He said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I'll tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. And then he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on their head and blessed them. Lord, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would... Fill my mouth and mind and heart with your word so that we may speak truth. Lord, we need help and direction and guidance from you today. So we ask that you would clear our mind in this sanctuary from all distraction so that we may hear from you. Spirit of God, would you preside over us and guide us into all truth and guard and protect us against deception and help us, Lord, to understand who we are and who you are. We thank you, O Lord, for your word, and pray again, Lord, that you would guide us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Parents, as we looked at verse 13 of chapter 10, verse 13 is a one-sentence sermon, is it not? One day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. Jesus was not an attraction. Jesus was not something that the people would show up just to see what he would do. The parents did not bring their children to see the crowds. They not, did not bring them to see a miracle. The parents brought their children to Jesus, the Son of God, to be blessed. It was customary that rabbis would bring their children or that, ch- that parents would bring their children to rabbis for a blessing of sorts. But this, this was different. Just chapters before, Jesus had healed from demon possession, exercising his power over the, the spiritual world. And he had fed thousands of people in need with just a little bit of resource, proving his power over the physical world. He had, world. He had stopped a fierce storm by the sound of his voice. There were supernatural things happening because the Son of God was present on the earth. And these parents wanting God's provision and position for their children, they arrive at the conclusion that to bring their kids to Jesus is the best thing they can do for them. That is the best leadership over them. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, that those called by God to salvation, Jesus, the source of our salvation, is the wisdom and the power of God. So these parents wanted the wisdom and the power of God for their kids. There is no greater resource, no greater setup for them that we could provide than to lead them to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that will provide for them right standing and a right living standard for them all the days of their life. This is a good place to be reminded. The church is not the object of our children's faith. 
the children's ministry, the student ministry, these are not the object of our children's faith. It is Jesus. It's Jesus. Oh, we should definitely insert them into the ministries of the church. They need to belong and be an active, contributing part of the church because the church is the organization above every other one that we get them involved in. The church is the one that has been endorsed by God for his glory. So keep the focus. Why? Jesus, not attractions, not friends, not trips. Jesus is the object of our faith. Ephesians chapter 3, 21 says, Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. May God have mercy on us if the generation that follows us skips out on his glory because we didn't set them up to know and learn and believe and to follow Jesus. Don't get me wrong. Our children finding community in a positive and secure environment, experiencing good, right and wrong teaching and making friends, all of these things are good. All these things are good. But the parents were seeking for their children to be blessed. Blessing in the Bible is God's purposeful provision and position. That is what a blessing of God is. And so they had brought their children to the Savior and to the King of kings and Lord of lords so that God himself could purposefully provide and position their children for God's glory. No greater calling. If we are truly bringing our children to Jesus, let me ask you a question to help provoke some thought. If we are truly bringing our children to Jesus, we need to consider if we are okay with our children becoming missionaries. If we are truly bringing our children to Jesus, we need to set ourselves up to be okay with God calling them into ministry. If we are truly thinking about bringing our kids to Jesus, we, we need to know that following Jesus will be, not be to follow the footsteps and values of the world, but denying themselves and following the feet of Jesus towards a, a life of service. And y'all, even towards a life of, of suffering in the hands of the world, but to the glory of the Father. You know, I hope that the end result of us bringing our kids to church is not so that they'll act right. It's so that they'll follow well. And while we're up here preaching, the Bible says that the parents brought their children to Jesus. They didn't drop them off. Somebody hear me. One of the best things we can do as adults is to demonstrate our disciplines, our devotions before our children. It's important to God. Childhood and youth is very special to the Lord Jesus. He considered their example in his teaching. He considered their ministry and, and what they represent in their faith. Jesus considered their security very, very important. Just before in Mark chapter 9, verse 37, Jesus had exemplified the greatest in the kingdom by taking a child into his arms, and he said, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me and my father. Now, this was apparently dismissed by the disciples because a chapter later in Mark chapter 10, verse 13, the disciples see the kids as kind of a bother. Y'all go on now. He didn't get any time for that. He doesn't have any time to sit with you kids and entertain y'all and keep you. He's got to talk to the adults. So somehow... The disciples had missed the teaching before where Jesus said, anyone who welcomes a little child 
welcomes me. They had missed that. But y'all, this is not the only time when the disciples got that wrong. They tried to send away a begging woman in Matthew chapter 15. They, they tried to send away hungry people in Mark chapter 6. You know, the truth is, is we can be just like the disciples, thinking that, I'll tell you what these kids need is a good talking to. And they might, but do you know their name? I mean, what, what, what these people that come in here, well, all their needs, what they need is to do better. Do you know what their story is? Do you know what their name is? Let's talk about umpires for a second. I ain't got this in my notes, man. Let's talk about umpires for a second. Umpires used to bother me because all week long, I would practice kids and work with kids, and we would coach them up. And then one day out of the week, they act like they have the authority to determine who that kid is. I was thinking, brother, you don't even know what his name is. Give me a technical foul, right? <laughs> I've got to let that go in my heart of umpires. I understand. But we can be just like the disciples. You see, when, when you reach the conclusion, when you reach the conclusion that these kids need a good talking to, when you reach the conclusion that these people need to do better for themselves, they need to act better, they need to look better, they need to get a certain way before they come in here, they need to know where they are. When you reach that conclusion before you reach the conclusion of ministry, you've already decided that those who are in need are a bother to you. You've already decided how you're going to act with them. And this is what the disciples did. They missed it when Jesus was like, anyone who welcomes this child in need is welcoming me. Do we see as a church, do we see children's ministry, homeless ministry? Do we see needy people who come to church for ministry? Do we see them as an inconvenience to our following Jesus? Because if we do, we're not really following Jesus at all. Can you imagine if you walked the altar, walked to the altar, did an invitation at the end, and you got up here, and as soon as you stood before me, I went, oh my gosh, I can't believe you walked down here. <laughs> this service is going to be longer now. Hit it again, Dwayne. We got somebody up here with a spiritual need. Lord have mercy. You should have just called, and we'd have set up an appointment. <laughs> oh, here they come again. Sometimes we would, truth be told, if, if we're gut honest, we would kind of rather sit in here with those that we consider normal and avoid hearing about Christian service and not think about the demand of every person. But every person is why Jesus came. Which is why Jesus stopped whatever he was doing here to minister to the least of these, to minister to the children. What, what a a presence of example that he is setting. People in need and children and students and their ministries, those are not a burden, they're a blessing. And God can teach us through them and God can use us to teach them through us. And as a meddling question, I would ask this question, I wonder if those who complain about young adults and children and people that can't get it right, I wondered if any of us have volunteered to serve in those ministries. If not, we need to hush. Put your money where your mouth is. Step up. If you had a context where your home was not broken and you valued that and God has used that, then pour into somebody whose life has come from brokenness so that they can see another way, a different way, a light in the darkness. Now, we can sit and complain about it, 
or we can minister to it. Now, the focus of today is not even on all of that, but that's what's in there. So Jesus said in the faith of a follower, the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. The kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. i tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. What does it mean to receive the kingdom of God like a child? The kingdom of God refers to one being subject to the rule of a king. It's not just heaven, not just eternal life. The kingdom of God refers to one who is acknowledging that the other who is king is above him. He lives according to the standard and the pleasure of the king, not to his own accord. Jesus says, if you want to see the example of a loyal subject to a king in a kingdom, see a child. That's who our example is. Now, for those who are having a hard time with this because of your conclusion that the little angels you know are not little angels at all, if you are thinking to yourself, which example are we looking at here? You should know that the example of faith to follow is not a spoiled child, but one who is, in, one who is not empowered to call the shots for whatever he thinks best as a child, whose knowledge is far separate from the experience of an adult. No, it's the example of a humble child that is moving willingly off the parent's direction, trusting that they know what is best. That is the example of a child that we are looking at. A number of our pastors at all three campuses, a number of us have done and still do outreach through sports ministry, through chaplaincy ministry. And I've been fortunate to be on the sidelines for football games from time to time. And, and my son, as a small kid, would get to go with me. And there were a few things that I had him understand as this was a privilege for us to be on the sideline while a game is going on and everybody else is in the stands. And I was, as time went on, I was like, you're not getting on the field because of who you are. You are getting on the field because of who I am. That's how you get on the field. And because of that, once you are there, you must stay within the ground rules that I set, not the ground rules that you come up with. Because you are only there because of me to start with. So he did not run out onto the field. We were not going to allow that. Son, you can't mess with the players' helmets and water bottles and footballs. You can't get all the equipment and do whatever you want to do with it. You can't mess with anything on the sideline, but you can't cross the sideline onto the field. But he did bring a little football. And when the play was down here, sometimes we throw a little football down here on the other side of the sideline so we're not out on the field disturbing gameplay. Even at halftime, we'd stop and we'd eat a hamburger together and take a knee and enjoy it. All of these things. This is what Jesus is talking about. The example of faith for God's kingdom to trust that entrance into the kingdom is not on you and that when in the kingdom of God, you are not free to do whatever you want, but you are free to operate within the bounds of whatever the king says is good and right. And you know what else? Not one time did my son complain about going to those games and having to do what I asked him to do. You know what else he did? He asked to go back. That, that is the example, and I'm not lifting up one child that is my child. Y'all come get to know us for a real family just like y'all's, all right? But what I'm, I'm giving to you is the example that Jesus is giving in the Scripture, that the kingdom of God is like a little child who knows who's above him and knows that those who are above him are calling the shots for his good. 
This is the example of living within God's kingdom. There is a great difference between childlike and childish. A childlike faith is glad to be there. A childlike faith knows how he got there. A childlike faith lives under the rule of the Lord, trusting that his way is better above his doubt and above his feeling. When we trust and when we lower ourselves under the authority of God, now this is where you need to get ready. When we put ourselves underneath the authority of God, we need to prepare ourselves because we are positioning ourselves for a blessing. That's when God is going to bless us. Purposeful provision and position for the glory of God and the good of man. That's what blessing is. It ain't about filling your pockets with all kinds of worldly resources so you can enjoy them till you die. It is for the glory of God and the good of man. And when we position ourselves in a place of obedience and humility, God will bless us. Now, Mark chapter 10 17 through 22, because we've seen Jesus bless the children and use the children as an example of how to live and operate and be in the kingdom of God. And now we get to Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22. The first passage was blessing. The second passage is cursing. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running to him, knelt down and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, Jesus told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. In verse 22, at this, at the, man, at this the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Jesus was once again not bothered by the interruption. Here's a person in need. The need is different than that of the parents and the children, but it's kind of the same. So Jesus entertains a question about eternal life. The question, according to Matthew's account, was asked by a young man. This is the, this is the account of the rich young ruler, one who, who would likely have been very wealthy and one who people around him would likely say, this young man has got his whole life in front of him. We would acknowledge this young man because of his interest in heaven. We would acknowledge of him because of his worldly accomplishment, his reverence even to Jesus because he knelt before him. And then we would also acknowledge his dedication to right living. But below this presentation is a situation. All of this that the world would say that he's got going right Below the surface is a situation that is very, very wrong. And the young man addressed Jesus to start with as good teacher. Now, good was a word that rabbis refused to use towards a human being. Think about that. They reserved that term for God alone. I respect that. So the young man recognized Jesus as completely different than other religious leaders but while he may have had good form, he still did not know the depth of whom he was speaking with. But Jesus said, why do you call me good? And he said, only God is good. And Jesus was not correcting him. He was affirming what he said. He was affirming the assignment of good to Jesus. Jesus was making him think 
and helping him to understand that if he called Jesus good, that means he calls Jesus God. And when he answers the question of what I must do to inherit eternal life, the answer is the truth. No greater than anything that he will hear because he is addressing God in the flesh. This is not the only time Jesus has answered a question like this. When we looked at the parable of the Good Samaritan at Easter, it was an expert in religious law who said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus asked him, what does the law say? And the man gave a summary of the commands, and this is what Jesus is bringing up here. He says, but to answer the question in Mark chapter 10, verse 19, you know the commandments. Because what did they ask? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus is bringing them, saying, you know the commands. You see, those of a Jewish background, knowing the commands and seeing salvation, they saw salvation as very much a works-based dedication, results-oriented salvation. Kind of like Alan Jackson sings it, working hard to get to heaven, right? That's a small reference for probably not many people that are getting that one of the 90s country genre. But we think it... Working hard to get to heaven. The scripture says, when we think of that ourselves and for our way, that if we will just do enough good to outweigh our bad, and if somebody asked us if we died tonight and stood before God, and God says, why should I let you into heaven, that my answer would be, I've tried to do more good than I have done bad. But Romans chapter 8 verse 3 says, the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So please take that out of your mind. It is not true. It's not true that your good will outweigh your bad. When we stand before perfection and are measured by that standard, hey, none of us making it. None of us, from the pastor to the prisoner. We've all got sin and a weakness of our sinful nature. Two days ago, I rolled through a stop sign. Sorry, man, I rolled through a stop sign. I know we have other law enforcement in here today, trying to find a few more that there's one there. Y'all weren't there, so. uh. (laughs) Now, truth is, truth is, and there's another point there. You're guilty whether they're present or not, right? You are. I'm not. I was able to. No, I'm just kidding. I I rolled through a stop sign. And it was one of those stop signs where they put it up because when there's a lot of traffic, you need it, but there wasn't a lot of traffic. So we were late, and I'm rolling on, okay? And you're all laughing because you've done the same. Some of you probably know the stop sign that I would tell you one time, and you're like, yep, I've done that one too. I've made this point before, but it bears repeating. If we can't keep the laws of traffic perfectly, then why do we conclude that we can keep the law of God perfectly? Right? You know, the scripture says in Psalm 19, 7, that the law of the Lord is perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect. Obedience to the law is not how you get in. The law lets you know how you are a sinner that needs salvation and grace. Uh, You know, you think about trying to justify your actions. It was just a little roll and stop, but we're guilty nonetheless. You see, this young man, the reason I bring that up is this young man had walked the line. He had towed the line. He had been obedient. But y'all, there's a reason why he's asking Jesus what must he do to inherit eternal life. Have you thought of that? Where he, he, he said, I've done all that. I've done all that. 
But there's got to be this sobering soul moment when he realizes that he does not measure up. And this is why he gets on his knees before the Lord God and whatever is going on in his heart is matched up with the holy standard of God and it brings him to his knees. He also likely thought that Jesus, or he also likely knew when Jesus mentioned the few things that he had initially obeyed in the commandments, there's more commandments than the ones that Jesus mentioned. Have y'all noticed that? All the ones that Jesus talks about are the ones that he was like, I've got all those. Truth is, is that some of us have got all those. Or at least got a couple of them. Like those are the ones, because these are the commandments that are man to man. Man's relationship with man. And we may look at all those and I may say, well, I've got that one. I don't have this one, but I got a few of them. And if Jesus listed the ones that we have adhered to, then we could say, yeah, I've got all those. But I want you to notice that Jesus did not list the ones that were man to God. You see that? Because in Exodus chapter 20, you will also find you must not have any other God but me. And he also did not list you must not make for yourself an idol. Notice verse 21, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. It's the same way with us, y'all, come on. When we, we measure ourselves up against the commandments of God, we know who we are. If you measure our motives, if you measure our thoughts and our attitudes behind the, the veil of what's out there for everybody, we know who we are. We are lawbreakers that are broken before God. And the important thing to see here in verse 21 is that Jesus knows who he is and he loves him. He loves him. This is a man who we know has made for himself an idol. It's one who has put another God before God. He is guilty, and Jesus loves this rich young ruler just like he loves those kids. I read the following this week. Jesus was filled with, man, this is good. Jesus was filled with loving compassion for this man because his life was so empty. He had climbed to the top of the ladder of success only to find his ladder lean against the wrong building. Jesus does not rule him out. What does Jesus do? He presents the truth. That's what love does, by the way. Love tells the truth. It doesn't cast him out. It tells the truth. For this, for this rich young man, the area of idolatry was standing between him and the Lord. And this is a good place to say Salvation, rescue from God, really being saved is two sides of the same coin. One side is faith in Jesus Christ to put our ever-loving trust in what God could do for us that we could not do for ourselves. The other side of that coin is repentance of sin, turning from sin. And the Spirit of God draws us to both of those things, convicts us of the truth of our sin and of the righteousness of God. Yes, salvation is simple. It's as simple as wanting to be forgiven and calling on the Lord to be saved and trusting Jesus as Savior. But it's as serious as turning from sin. This is not something that you learn in different schools of thought. This is straight up Scripture. When you look in the Scripture at Acts chapter 2, verses 37 and 38, the Bible says, Brothers, what should we do after they had heard a sermon? And Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. And be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit is the seal that you are forgiven. In Acts chapter 26, Paul said the same. I preach that all must repent of their sins and turn to God and prove they have changed by the good things that they do. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus announced, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Peter, Paul, Jesus, all the same message. Repent and believe. Matthew's gospel says in 18.3, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Turning from sin. Jesus was not simply saying, ask forgiveness where you failed. No, he is saying, follow me. That's what he says in chapter 10, verse 21. Turning from sin and following Jesus is a different direction. One scholar puts it this way. Salvation is free, but it saves only the man who reaches forth and takes it. To take salvation is to change, is to yield, is to turn, to repent and believe. Lord Jesus, help us if we've heard this a million times or if we've heard it just for the first time that there is a decision point coming. And God, if we have turned from ourselves and turned to you a long time ago, may we remember what it is like to be separate from you and to overjoy in the fellowship that we have with you now in Jesus' name. You see, this section of the message has the potential to lead you to a decision point. If God's Spirit is calling out sin, turn from it. Why would the Bible tell you to repent of sin if you can't do it? And this is not something that we do on our own. This is spiritually driven and motivated to convict us of who we are and to convince us of who we need. Salvation is as simple as wanting to be forgiven, trusting Jesus as Savior, but it's also as serious as turning from sin, trusting Jesus as Lord. Repentance of sin is not just the feeling of a need for forgiveness. Repentance of sin is not just feeling bad about the thing that you've done. Forgiveness of sin or repentance of sin is not just rethinking sin. It is to change. It is a spirit-led change. Teenagers, it is a spirit-led change. Senior adults, it is a spirit-led change. Middle adults, whatever we call that category. It's a change. It's going the way of God. The point is, we can't just wave our hands up and say, yeah, I'm a Christian, follow Jesus, and then not follow him. You can't preach, you cannot preach truth without grace. You cannot preach faith without repentance. Two sides of the same coin. The other side of that coin is faith. We've talked about repentance. Let's talk about this faith. The faith of the rich young man was in the wrong object. The object of trust and the determination of his will was possessions and money. Let me say one thing to us all today. I find it tragic when Jesus preaches in the scripture on things like the love of money, but when it's preached on Sunday, nobody deals with that. That's not my thing. Well, I wonder why it's in there. It may not mean that half of us deal with it, but somebody is. And under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you already know that if God were talking to you that day, he would have said the same thing. You see, the object of his trust, the determination of his will was possessions. It was money. What was Jesus doing with this question? Was he trying to institute a poverty gospel? Everybody that's going to follow me is give up every red cent they've gotten and see what happens. The poverty gospel is the opposite of name it and claim it. It's lose it and gain it. Or self-denial to the extreme. That's what fits one for heaven. Well, the poverty gospel and the prosperity gospel are wrong. 
To adopt this poverty gospel is to throw out a ton of other scripture that is relative to blessing and generosity and stewardship. You would then have to condemn Abraham and David for their wealth. So this is not what Jesus is doing here. No, Jesus was not instituting a new policy of give everything away to be saved. Jesus was speaking, listen to this, Jesus was speaking specifically to the rich young ruler's favorite sin. Y'all, come on. Everybody in here, if on a sheet of paper right now, had to write down what our favorite sin is, we could. And we would know that's the one that Jesus would challenge us on that day. Doubt, lust, covetousness, idolatry. You can put whatever specific name on it that you want to, but Jesus would have dealt with us that day with something specific that is our favorite. His bank account and his belongings had his heart. If this were you, what sin would Jesus have commanded you to abandon? And the next question is very simple, but it's very serious. Have you? Have we? Understand this, if it were not sin attached to this man's possession and money, Jesus would not have called it out. You see, it's not money that is the root of all evil, it is the love of money. So if there were not sin attached with all the stuff that he had, Jesus wouldn't have called that out. That was the area of the rich young ruler's life that no one was allowed to touch. Do you have a part of your life where everybody could say something and you're still going to do it? Maybe it's pride. I'm going to be who I'm going to be. Well, then you're going to be who you're going to be. See, we can take those things straight to the grave apart from God. I want you to notice the rich young man didn't even ask God to help him understand. That's what I thought this week that's so tragic. When, when Jesus says, there's still one thing you haven't done, go and sell all your possessions and give money to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven, then come and follow me. Do you remember last week when there was imperfect faith, what happened? Jesus healed even in the presence of imperfect faith. That man, knowing that he did not believe completely in the way that he should, said what? Lord, help my unbelief. What did the rich young ruler do? He dropped his head and he turned away. He didn't even say anything like, Lord, have mercy on me because I struggle with this. He didn't say, Lord, th this is the part of me that I have a hard time of letting go. Will you please, God, in your grace and unmerited favor, give me forgiveness. I am weak, Lord, make me strong. No, instead of throwing himself at the feet of Jesus for mercy, he walked away sad, keeping his God. Keeping his God. Guarantee you there's people that walk out of church, probably this church too, every single Sunday, the Lord puts it on their heart for something to surrender to, and they drop their head and walk out that door, and the Spirit of God has wore them out for an hour. And they still leave, and God is not God. See, what Jesus said in verse 27, after the disciples were very much to get a conclusion like we do, when we read these verses, we think, well, who in the world can be saved? That's what the disciples said. And Jesus went on to say, humanly speaking, impossible. But with God, everything is possible. Please hear that hope this morning. If with God, everything is possible. Heaven is possible. Eternal life is possible. Healing is possible. The rich young ruler, though, started with the wrong question. He said what? What shall I do? 
to inherit eternal life. What should I do to inherit eternal life? Remember last week again, Jesus responds to imperfect faith. But this was not imperfect faith. It was a completely different object of belief. He believed if I do without money and possessions, I'm done. My life is over. Everything that everybody knows about me. Hey, can I mention one more thing? We're not given the name of the rich young ruler. You know why? Because it ain't that important. We need to quit working for our name in here and work for the name that is above all names, king of kings. That's why it's not mentioned. Because what does it matter? Jesus taught entrance to the kingdom of God. Inheriting eternal life is with God, not human effort. It is with God. The disciples had left their life to follow Jesus. So I ask all of us, what ambition, what idol, what relationship, what is it that Jesus would call out for you to abandon because it stands between you and him? The rich young ruler dropped his head, went away, because that's what you do when you know the truth and have no intention of yielding your life. Let me make this last point before we close. Children don't give a rip about what they have when something is better. Have you noticed that? They have something that they love so much, and then something better comes along, and they just drop that, and they take what's better. Adults, adults will tell you why what they have is better even when it's worse. I'm serious. I don't need that. I got this. Yeah, well, this one's better. No. Yeah, it's better. Why would I need that brand new truck? I got this old thing. Well, maybe because it's better. Adults, can you see this though? We have another child being baptized next week. The last three, pretty sure, have been children. Now, part of that has to do with maybe you've already given your life to Christ and you've been baptized and you were baptized as a child. Or maybe it's happened before. But another part could be that kids get it and it's difficult for adults. Because when they see which is better, they go to it. When we do, we make excuses for ourselves about why what we got already is good enough. God help us if we take that attitude to the grave and before God. What is it that God is calling out of our life so that we would be able to surrender to him knowing that his way is better? The Bible says the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like little children. In Jesus' name, amen.